Hello. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yes. And sometimes we watch stuff. And this is a Babetreon episode, so you know what that means. We're watching the BBC's Hogfather adaptation from 2006. It's actually called... Terry Pratchett's Hogfather, um, and I, oh, it's not actually BBC, it's Sky One. Oh, really? I thought it was the BBC. What is Sky One? Okay, so sorry to our um, English babe trends. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. We're a mess, we're a mess. <laughs> yeah, we don't know all that much about the television networks of Great Britain. Um, so this was released by Sky One in 2006 as a two-part uh Christmas-themed fantasy comedy, which is the description on Wikipedia, which accurate. Um, and it was broadcast over Christmas 2006. Um, so we're really traveling back in time a little bit. Um, I'm so eager to talk about the variety of low-budget special effects <laughs> that were used throughout. I like how you say it as if, like, they're special <laughs> But overall, I was genuinely charmed by the aesthetics, and yeah, I have a lot to say. So this was the first live-action film adaptation of a Discworld novel. Yeah. Um, and you and, and I love seeing the way that the folks involved decided to interpret it. Mm -hmm. um, I thought some of the visuals were really close to what I had imagined. Some were really far. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, let's get into it. This is our first time watching this yeah. as, as Yanks. All three as hours. Americans. Um, it is two episodes and yeah, runs about three hours in the U.S. at least. I'm not sure about other countries, but it is available on Tubi, Tubi. to watch for free. Um, they do have very jarring ads that are just thrown in at the yeah. randomest, you know, clearly automated intervals. No one had any... Um, any human thought behind where the ads should be placed. I had my remote like right by me so I could mute when the ads <laughs> came up because I, I can't handle like ads of any kind these days, um, let alone like TV ads. Yeah. And I have all, all of my streaming services. I, I purchased the ad free option because I want to see the ad. I, same. Ads run. make me start yelling about capitalism. That's why Nick wears his headphones when he watches football games. <laughs> I mean, among other reasons, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure, he's not getting a lot of involvement from you during a football game. Positive involvement, exactly. Yeah, just to be like walking through, mocking whatever the announcers just said. Although one of the ads I got, I was pretty tickled by during this to be presentation. It was for the AARP. <laughs> It was for me to sign up for the AARP. And it was this middle-aged woman being like, my mom's been trying to tell me that now I should sign up for AARP, but I felt like I wasn't ready. But then I saw the amazing discounts. I was like, okay, I know I'm 36. Wait, how old like, do you have to be to sign up for the AARP? I think you, I think you can sign up in your 50s. I don't know, but I have, I'm not Let's there try yet. to sign up and see if they let us. <laughs> okay, let's see if we let's get, get, our get discounts. some discounts. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate grift. <laughs> 
AARP fraud. <laughs> anyway, we'll put the link to the 2B stream um, in the episode description if y'all would like to check it out. And if you haven't watched this before and you're a Pratchett fan, highly recommend. This isn't something that I think would upset Discworld lovers. It's very faithful. It's clearly done with a lot of love and the humor and the essence of the book are definitely intact in my opinion. Yeah. It just, it felt very, uh, I don't know. I felt like they lowered the age bracket. Like in, in terms of the intended audience. I guess I always just think of Terry Pratchett's books as being more adult, and this felt more like it was targeted for not adults. I think it was meant to feel like a family film. Right. So they wanted to make it as universally appealing as possible. Mm -hmm. So they definitely did play up the like slapstick moments, and then also the fight in the Tooth Fairy's castle is like way more involved, mm -hmm. and there's a lot going on there that just isn't really in the book yeah um, so they did the, the things that film and tv adaptations tend to do which is like mm -hmm. draw out the more visually resonant sequences yeah yeah and i did honestly, that detract from it for you uh, yeah i oh. had a tough time with that okay. um and i also in general really dislike christmas movies um <laughs> so i think that be because it did have that aesthetic of hmm. a christmas movie that i don't get from reading the book um, because it doesn't have the trappings of like, you know, all the jingle bells and like the family togetherness. <laughs> but the whole, but it's all satire of a Christmas movie. But I've, I, I guess I was missing some of the satire. Okay. Well, we're going to have an interesting discussion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we do thoroughly spoil every entity that we cover. So spoilers ahead, ye be warned. The film opens with, how does it actually, what's the opening sequence? It's Susan with the kids. Yeah, yep. and she's so, like going to fight the monsters in the basement. Yeah, the film opens with Susan Stowe-Hewlett, Death's granddaughter, who is a governess. She's an adult, and she's taking care of some children, and they tell her that there is a mon another monster in the basement. Mm -hmm. So Susan goes ahead and dispatches of it, and that's how we begin to get an idea that she is taking a little of her, her mother and father and grandfather's traits along with her, even though she's trying to be logical and trying to exist in the human world. We also see a... We also see the head of the Assassin's Guild being visited by a very mysterious ghostly figure. The, the ghost was so funny. He talked like a Muppet. <laughs> he is one of the auditors of reality, which are a group of bureaucrats that handle the goings-on of all life and order. And they are hiring an assassin to eliminate the hog father mm -hmm. who is a version of santa mm -hmm. he is a you know once the origin is in pagan stories and beliefs just like santa claus just like santa and then over the years he became someone who goes from you know initially being like 
presenting a blood sacrifice mm-hmm. um, at, you know, midwinter in order for the sun to continue to come up. The solstice. <laughs> the solstice to someone who brings presents to children. Mm-hmm. And because he is the hog father, he is... He rides in a sleigh that is borne aloft by some <laughs> merry boars, and he has horns and a little pig nose. Yeah. And he grunts. His little, like, tusks. I love his little tusks. Yeah, our, they're our, super cute. Our dog's name is Pig, and I watched this with my husband, so we've been calling her the Pig Father. <laughs> Just excellent stuff. <laughs> Extremely cute. Extremely cute. <laughs> the auditors of reality can't kill the Hogfather himself because of the variety of rules that govern these beings. Mm -hmm. So they're hiring an assassin instead. And the Assassin's Guild assigns this to Mr. T-Time. His name is actually pronounced Teatame, Mr. (laughs) Teatame. Which is was a gag that I did appreciate more um, when on screen spoken. because you're hearing it yeah. mm-hmm. over and over again and the number of people who um, get it wrong. And he is, you know, unsurprisingly, like a very creepy, unhinged assassin. So you can imagine he doesn't like his name being mispronounced. With a wild voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wild choice there. This performance <laughs> was... <laughs> So involved. I mean, he did a great job. He definitely created an unsettling, odd character. Um, I didn't know most of the actors in this, uh, but I, of course, knew Michelle Dockery from Downton Abbey. That one made it across the pond. Um, <laughs> Mr. Tiatame was played by Mark Warren. I Nick said that he's in Band of Brothers. I just, I'm seeing that right now. Yeah. yeah he, it says only three episodes. Yeah, he plays, uh, Nick said he plays a coward. So I think that he gets like executed or okay. runs away or something okay interesting yeah anyway um yeah good portrayal great wig the wigs across the board i was pretty obsessed with and i thought the visual effect of his one giant mm-hmm. black contact mm-hmm. was very good i thought it was cg at first no yeah his 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 costume was really well done mm-hmm. because he had one giant like really black light. contact and yeah. the other one was like spiky ice blue. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also definitely made it look like his pupil was kind of floating away a little bit from mm-hmm. the center of his eye. Um, looked great. So that was a great effect. Yeah. yeah. I can't imagine how weird it was um, looking through those two contacts. I had a hard enough tr- uh, time just wearing normal contacts. And I love I've those. never put anything in my eye. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I love those uh, contacts and I'm, I think I'm going to get some contacts for cosplaying at a con, Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it's going to be kind of brutal. (laughs) (laughs) I worked for an optometrist for a while. Um, In my early 20s, I had very interesting smattering of jobs. As as many of us do. As as so many of us do. Um, And there was a contact learning section, like with a mirror and a really bright light and a little sink and... It was so terrifying to me, but also fascinating to watch the people who are like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to touch my eye. I don't want to put them in. But I recognize that, like, I want contacts mm-hmm. and I need contacts. Yeah. Um, so just like the various scuffles <laughs> sort of break out between the doctor and the patient. <laughs> as they're both like, ah, open your eye. 
which I could just hear just around the corner from the desk where I was sitting. It was, I, I feel for them, um, but when, it was really funny. When I got contacts, I had to go back twice because the first time Ugh. after an hour and a half, I couldn't get them yeah. in my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. So yikes. That's how that worked out for me. <laughs> Luckily, I found glasses that I love and I'm in glasses life now. Nice. <laughs> it suits you well. Thank you. So Tiatame brings some other assassins on um, who are, you know, less ruthless and specially skilled than he is and serve as the sort of comedic relief. And they decide that they're going to find a, they're going to knock out a tooth so that the tooth fairy shows up. Then they kidnap the tooth fairy He also has a wizard who's helping him and through like magic and also common sense, they enact a plot through which they take all of the children's teeth that Mm. the tooth fairy has collected and they hang out in the tooth fairy's castle, which is also very creepy. And they put a spell on the teeth so that they can control all the children that the teeth belong to. Mm -hmm. And they are pulling away a belief in the hog father. Mm -hmm. So this is the way that they're going to kill him by removing that belief in him, which in turn saps away his essence. Because he's a tulpa. That's right. (laughs) So... Meanwhile, death, enter death, love death in this movie, love him always. I did like his. He's voiced by Ian Richardson, and he did just an incredible job. Um, I loved, loved, loved his his voice. Yeah, and I did, I really loved the, that he gets his own red leather gloves, but they fit his, like, giant skeleton His giant bone hands. Yeah. (laughs) Every, no, the handwork in the film was really excellent. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Every time one of those hands just, like, creepily came down. I I need some of those hands. I know, they're really good. Um, death realizes what's going on because he has a special section of life hourglasses in his, in his own castle. Um, and he sees that the hog father is, is running out and then it breaks. So he decides as death so often does, death loves a side quest. He does. <laughs> yeah. And he decides that he is going to become the hog father, um, especially because he knows that the hog father is responsible for the sun rising, not just for delivering presents. Mm-hmm. And it is hogs watch Eve. So it's crucial timing and death heads out with Albert, his servant, his man's servant and begins to, deliver presents um just really sowing chaos (laughs) throughout um he goes to a department store and then like enchants the owner and then gives away all of his goods because death is operating from a place where he's trying his best to understand hogs watch and the meaning of hogs watch Mm -hmm. and he very quickly points out that it's very unfair that the kids whose families don't have money don't get big presents or maybe anything at all Mm -hmm. and then the rich families kids get the bigger the bigger goodies Mm -hmm. um so he's also out there uh just like flashing people with light from his face and undermining capitalism so 
We love to a, see a it. champion of the people. We love to see it. <laughs> so he also is riding around and getting into chimneys and going against the rules and like leaving really good gifts for the poor kids. And, and Albert like is getting so fucking drunk. <laughs> Albert is consuming everything that was left <laughs> for the hog father. So uh, they tallied up at one point. He's had like a thousand a, cherries. Yeah, like a thousand cherries, like 10,000 meat pies yeah. and like 200,000 apples. It's, it's great. It's great. I do like that it's the convention to leave alcohol for hog father mm-hmm. because I don't know if that's very common in America. I feel like it's milk. Yeah, milk. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely milk. So, you know, alcohol will keep you going longer, probably. Yeah, if I were the hog father, I'd appreciate it. I would need a nice drink. Cherry. <laughs> yeah. That sounds great. So, throughout, Susan becomes involved because death basically reaches out to her and is like, something's going on. Someone is trying to remove, um, what do they call it? Inhume? Is that. I think, I think it, it is inhume. inhume. Yeah. Someone's trying to inhume the hog father and he can't, because death is death, he can't enter the realm of children's beliefs because death doesn't exist there because they don't understand it. So he needs somebody else who can take care of that. Mm-hmm. So that's why he brings Susan in and she gets, when she goes over into death's realm, she gets her like instant, you know, death family member makeover where her hair gets all poofy and crazy. And she has whole a whole bottle of hairspray, <laughs> big black cloak with a big silver, um, her cloak class is amazing. Yeah, she looked yeah. great. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Michelle Dockery is so beautiful and pale. Yeah. So like everything just worked really well. I liked well her aesthetic a lot. Yeah, yeah. She, that was good casting. And she also really brought that sort of logic to Susan that mm-hmm. is so present in the book. So she gets involved and she starts to realize that weird things are happening. At the same time, we're also checking in with the Unseen University Those and the wizards. <laughs> I thought they did a good job of making them just like so dumb and obnoxious. They um, are. I mean, they come across as as far enough on the spectrum that they are disabled. Like they, <laughs> those wizards, man. They're struggling. Yeah. yeah. Um, some weird things are happening at the Unseen University too. Um, one of the young wizards has a machine he's made that you can ask questions and is powered by a mouse um, running on a wheel as as well as other things and they're trying to suss out what's happening and get more information about like what the Hogfather is and everyone's realizing that he runs on belief Mm -hmm. and that's his life essence so Tiatame is removing that belief. And in the meantime, there's an excess of belief everywhere. Mm. So if you mention something like the eater of socks, it's going the to... Veruca gnome. The Veruca gnome. Who gives you warts. <laughs> <laughs> they will pop into existence and yeah. begin to pester you. Yeah. Susan comes across the oh god of hangovers who He's one of great. my favorite little Terry Pratchett jokes yeah. um bilious and with him she starts to get a little bit more information about what's going on and how to get to 
the Tooth Fairy's castle. Mm-hmm. So the two of them end up making it there together, and they discover Tiatame, find the tooth pile, and figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, Susan does manage to kill him, but because you can't die in the imaginary realm, he goes back into the real world. His dead body appears there. And then the wizards are like, let's bring him back to life. Yeah. So they do that. These, these goddamn wizards. And then give him Susan's sword, which he has stolen, which is death's sword and can cut through anything. So it's not a sword you want your enemy to have in their hand. Meanwhile, Susan accesses a very secret door that Tiatame has been trying to break through. Mm -hmm. Um, And through that, she finds someone who's pretending to be the original tooth fairy because the tooth fairy work is contracted out to other tooth fairies, you see. Mm -hmm. Um, But she's the one in charge. And Susan ultimately realizes that it's not actually the tooth fairy. It is the boogeyman, the original boogeyman or bogeyman. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's why the castle is so creepy and why it figures out your worst nightmares and uses them to torment you. Yeah. Because throughout... kill you. mm -hmm, Throughout, Tiatame and his assassin buddies have been thwarted by their worst childhood fears, Mm -hmm. um, including... It was very effective, the wardrobe with the face on it um, that just appears in the wall, screams, and then the assassin is just kind of sucked into it and disappears except for his boots. And he goes away. (laughs) Um, But the bogeyman created the castle because they wanted to have a place that was actually safe for children. Like they had changed their ways. And so that's why all the teeth are there. That's why there is like this surge of belief. So Susan decides that she's going to make the last surviving assassin, Banjo, the tooth fairy. Banjo is very good at heart. He's been he's a, controlled. He's like a Lenny. Yeah. He's been controlled by Tiatame and made to do bad things, but he's actually a good guy. Yeah. Um, so he and one of the tooth fairies and Bilius stay there together because the tooth fairy and Bilius have also fallen in love. Immediately fell in love. <laughs> I did. I really liked the actor who played Bilius, too. Yeah, me too. He was great. He he was so good. Just, like, kind of dopey, um, a little greasy. Always but just like, looking around like, oh. <laughs> well, he's also sober for the first time in his existence yeah. because he's been given a sobering potion yeah. in order to help out. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so many little tidbits. It's just, it's always impossible to truly summarize a Pratchett work. And I did, I really, really loved when Banjo gets his puppy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was so cute. That was really sweet. Yeah, yeah the puppy so. just runs in from off screen. It's just like, yay. <laughs> really sweet. There's a few, like, good uses of puppies appearing on the scene in order yeah. to promote joy. Everyone loves puppies. So then... Susan goes and finds the Hogfather in the like ice realm bone castle region because yep. of course that's there that's as well. There. Um, and that's all been collapsing and everything's been falling apart because there's no re- belief. And death shows up and also notices that the auditors of reality are 
directly involved at this point because they're still trying to eliminate the hog father mm-hmm. and he just, you know, they get cast into a cat. So they're pretending to be wolves at that yeah. point. <laughs> so then Susan saves the hog father. There's a beautiful moment where he kind of becomes a prehistoric, you know, hog man yep. as he originally was and like rises up and the sun rises and everything's going to be okay. When the when he turned into the prehistoric hog man, my husband was just like what the fuck is that? <laughs> I can't imagine watching this not having not having read any Discworld, much so less confused. Hog It was kind of amazing to uh, experience his experience. <laughs> no, I'm I'm sure. Yeah, I was thinking about that as I watched it because Madeline told me we watched Hogfather last night. What a strange experience! And I was like, Nick probably didn't know what the hell was going on at the end of it he was like this is like a series right this has to be like an ongoing series like because he wanted more like context and stuff and I was like no this is a standalone this is a (laughs) one-off book I mean you know there's the whole richness of Discworld itself Mm -hmm. um, which he doesn't know about (laughs) no right that's the thing and it is it is always a real joy to me to witness someone encountering Discworld for the first time and it helps me understand why lovers of Pratchett are so fierce in their not just support but wanting to spread to others because Mm -hmm. the first time someone reads one they're just like what is this? Yeah. Like, this is so cool. It's so funny. It's so smart. It so effectively skewers fantasy tropes mm-hmm. while also having really heartfelt messages. Mm-hmm. And Death is one of my favorite characters yes. in, I mean, period. I really want to get a Death tattoo. There's some really cool art of him. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah. Especially the one of him like petting a cat, like a little kitten. Oh, yeah. Like, that would be no, very cute. Death with a cat. There's <laughs> nothing better. Yeah. And I, I actually, you know, in expanding on that loving message that's contained within this book and film, um, they, they did a good job of carrying through, especially in that last conversation with Death and Susan, where he is explaining that humans need fantasy in order to be human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I teared up a little bit during that talk. It was just so good. Yeah. And so it's the fantasy of a sunrise as opposed to, as death describes it, you know, a celestial ball of heat, like moving across the universe, yeah. um, which is always going to happen. But the sunrise wouldn't happen unless there was belief in the hog father. Yeah. And I, I totally agree with you. I liked that little monologue a lot. And I I also do find a lot of fantasy in the science behind the way the universe works mm-hmm. because it's pretty incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. Uh, like these massive forces like beyond oh, yeah. knowing that like control everything about our lives. Mm-hmm. Like that's very magical. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I have to say that out of out of gods that uh, have uh, been, you know, thought of gods 
thought of as gods by humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sun is a pretty um, tangible one. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, it's right up there. <laughs> it gives us life. Metal is pointing <laughs> vaguely upwards. <laughs> and I have a healthy fear and respect for it. That's true. We've, yes, we've talked about this before. <laughs> so, in the end, Tiatame has shown up in order to kill Susan. And mm-hmm. then he's like, maybe I'll kill Death too. He's just totally lost the plot at yeah, this he's point. He's drunk on violence. <laughs> and uh, Susan manages to take him out by turning and throwing a. She throws the poker, right? Yeah. She turns and throws a poker through Death's body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it stabs Tiatame, and then Death delivers a final blow. Yeah. And amazingly, the children that Susan governesses are there watching, but they're so used to seeing her kill monsters that they're like, yay! Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, killed they're the pretty creepy man. It. Yeah, and Tehatame <laughs> tries to convince them that like death is their enemy, and they're just like, he's just sitting there. Yeah, like, <laughs> he's not even making woo woo noises. Yeah. It's just bones. <laughs> like, no, you're the creepy yeah. one. And that is the end we get a nice little overview of everyone like happy in their hog hogs watch day and death is the only one that's really left kind of sad because the whole story of death is that he doesn't really want to be death yeah he wants to do other things yeah, and he tough to be death he really got into being the hog father yeah even his ho ho ho's even improved i know yeah that was very cute that was very cute and so one of my favorite lines in this book and in this movie is when he's handing out presents and he's like he gives little girl a sword and he's like oh it's a you know i'm teaching lessons and the mom is like what if she cuts herself and he said that will be a very important lesson which is directly from the book yeah and, yeah one of my favorite lines from Hogfather. <laughs> so yeah I, I was really happy with that moment too yeah, yeah. great shout out yeah so impressions uh, where where to begin first of all i haven't watched a made-for-TV movie that is almost 20 years old in a while, (laughs) you know? What what others can you think of? Well, I'm thinking of things that we've even covered, like the BBC Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but then that's a lot older. Yeah. Um, And so, like, the the dating of the visuals, the effects, like, the approach... Mm -hmm feels more like palatable because it is so long ago and with the lion the witch and the wardrobe it was like all practical effects too the hobbit was made for tv right didn't we decide yeah. that yes yeah. <laughs> we decide that. <laughs> well because the commercial breaks were like clear no for sure but then that's older too yeah you know like so like yeah and that's fully animated mm-hmm. um so something like this where it's a mix of live action and then computer animation mm-hmm. um and some practical effects and it was made in you know 2005 2006 um you know it's gonna look pretty weird um I think the most egregious effect was the boars probably yeah because every time they showed up they were just so obviously divorced from whatever background was behind they were really like cut out Um, yeah whatever set they were being superimposed on it was just like 
oh, there's like computer boys over there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I also, you know, you know me as a lover of like puppets and um, a lot of weird looking fantasy movies from my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, I also find it like pretty charming when I see someone's realization of like a very challenging work to mm-hmm. visually adapt yeah. um, and see the decisions that they made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What effects did you enjoy? Um, I did like a lot of the, like the more practical stuff. I really liked death a lot. I think the costuming overall was really, really good. Yeah. And I I love that for death, they went with like a really detailed skeleton Mm -hmm. face. That was like stylized. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's long and he has the little pinpricks of blue light in his eye sockets. I thought that was well done. Yeah. Um, When he's in his hogfather costume, he looks so great. Like he has... They also the fake beard. They also kept in the line from the book when the wizard pulls off his beard and says, it has hooks for going over the ears. I imagine that proved troublesome for you. <laughs> he doesn't have ears. He doesn't have flesh. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I thought the costuming, I thought that the casting was also great. I, uh, I know it's like a very small role, but I thought that the leader of the Assassin's Guild was perfect. Mm, yeah. Because um, he's just this like Lord dour, foreboding, um, and old that actor, British white man. Yeah, that actor <laughs> is very prolific. Um, I recognize him from... Yeah, he had great presence. A million things. Yeah. Yeah, he clearly is, like, very... He gave me kind of, like, a Shakespearean actor vibe. Yes. Um, So he was great. Uh, His name is David Warner. um, I did... There were some miniatures as well that Mm -hmm. they utilized for the settings. Mm -hmm. I could tell that they had, like, a town miniature that they, like, put the camera up over. Mm -hmm. And I think that that looks better than, you know, CGing a town in the distance because it's real. It's, like, tangible. For sure. Um. So that was cool. And uh, and they definitely used some forced perspective with death as well to mm-hmm. make him really loom. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Um, I liked uh, Teotame's, like, band of mostly not useful goons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... Okay, so I do I do like a lot some things about Teotame's aesthetic. Um, I just felt like the voice really made him not scary. I, but I feel like the goal wasn't to make him scary. I think it was to make him strange. But I, I wanted him to be scary because he's like mm-hmm. the assassin. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, like, ultimately, he, he didn't seem to have powers other than he could, like, teleport and then he could just pull his dagger out real fast. Like, those were his assassin powers. Well, I think, yeah, I think his main powers are just being, like, a fucking sicko. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, he's willing to go to lengths that others aren't. Yeah, he definitely made me uncomfortable, but less in, like, a I'm scared of you way and more in a, like, I want to slap you until you cut that shit out way. <laughs> um. But yeah, that's my impressions of the effects. I could talk about other impressions. Well, I think I'm trying to remember if his voice is mentioned in in the actual book um, or if that was an actor's choice. Or a director's um, choice. 
Yeah, yeah, or just someone involved with mm-hmm. the production. Yeah, um, and he does. I mean, it is canon that he can do like weird physical things, mm-hmm. and we see a little bit of that where he like does a backwards flip, like up into a little cutout in the uh, Tooth Fairy's castle. Hmm. You don't remember that? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to be sold on on Tiatale's No, that's fine. I, I, thought, I thought it. I thought it was a good um, realization of him. He felt he felt super like Clockwork Orangey to me. He did. He so, reminded me so of, that of piece, uh, the main character in mm-hmm. Clockwork Orange. So that piece, aesthetically, I appreciated. Yeah. So yeah, and I really liked uh, Susan. And I get it was probably like a character choice, but she didn't make a lot of facial expressions. Yeah, I think, well, very stoic. have you seen Downton Abbey? Have you seen no. Michelle Dockery and anything else? No. That's like her vibe. <laughs> She's like very cold, very pretty, like very straightforward. Um, and then Susan's whole character is supposed to be like rejecting the whimsy of death and like the world that he exists in for finding these like logical practical approaches which i also and being annoyed whenever she gets pulled into one of these biddies yeah and i you know this isn't like unique to this adaptation but i find that very difficult to connect with um because i'm always looking for ways to put more whimsy and magic mm-hmm. in my life <laughs> <laughs> but maybe you'd feel differently if you had been thrust into it without having the option. If death was my grandfather, I would be pretty into it. I have confidence. You say that now, it. but you don't know. <laughs> no, I've, yeah, I'll stick by that. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, no, over, overall, overall, I, I think if I were tasked with adapting Hogfather or any Discworld book. It's like one of those projects that feels so challenging that it's almost impossible. <laughs> I mean, are there any other adaptations of Terry Pratchett books into movies? Well, there's there was a show um uh, about the the Night's Watch um that wasn't like super well received, so I didn't did watch he it. Did he co-write Good Omens? Yes. Okay, so, so there is that. So there's Good Omens, but that's not set in Discworld. Right, um, yeah. That's a separate work. I have been getting, I don't know why, but my TikTok and Instagram feeds are now like full of fan art content from that Good Omens uh, adaptation with David Tennant. You must have engaged with something at some point. Like all I've been engaging with is Baldur's Gate stuff. So it, there must be Maybe like there's a crossover that the overlap. algorithm is. Yeah, yeah, but I'm very not interested in. <laughs> Anyways, it's an, <laughs> it's an aside. So the storyboarding itself was done by an artist who and writer um, who has done some Pratchett um, guides like the streets of Ankh-Morpork and the Discworld map. So it was someone who was very familiar with the Discworld aesthetic. It's like a picture, like coffee table kind of book. The streets of Mm Ankh-Morpork. Yes. Um, So that makes a lot of sense because I was very impressed with how clearly well-versed in Discworld the visual artists working Mm -hmm. on this were um, because it's so specific Mm -hmm. and it would be easy for someone to come in and be like oh what it's like 
a fantasy town, but it's like goofy and like a mm-hmm. little dirty. Um, it's it's just so, so, so much more involved than that. Mm-hmm. And there were things like the machine that the wizards have that I really enjoy it because I love like a Rube Goldberg machine mm-hmm. of any kind. But getting to actually see like the mouse and the little hourglass popping out and mm-hmm. then the quill writing on yeah. the big piece of parchment. And when it breaks down and says, air out of cheese, stop, restart. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed that too. Um, and these are all things that are very fun to read, but it's also just like a real delight to see them happening before you. Yeah, I I would really enjoy seeing like a Discworld adaptation in Ankh-Morpork Pork that was had more like adult darkness mm-hmm. in like in addition to like the mm-hmm. whimsicalness and the satire and everything. Um, I think that might be more up my alley. Yeah, you should watch the Night Watch show. Was it supposed um, to be good? Um, no. Yeah, that's why I haven't watched it. <laughs> no. Or like, it's it sounds, um, it sounds, well, here, I'm trying to look it up, and I accidentally looked up some kind of, like, true crime thing. Oh, good. Um, okay, Night Watch. Yeah, so it's called, it's called The Watch, um, and it was it was on BBC just for one season in 2021. It has a, a score of 53% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, yeah, so when I was reading about it as it was being released, it, it sounded like it really wasn't faithful to the books. Discworld fans were really grumpy about it in general. And Terry Pratchett's daughter, Rihanna, also said that it shared no DNA with my father's watch. Um, so people who were deeply involved in the books weren't impressed. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm probably not going to check it out then. No, I don't. Yeah, (laughs) don't. But that was an attempt to do it from a darker, through a darker lens. Okay. Um, Like they tried to make it like punk. Um, Yeah, that sounds patronizing. Right. And the thing is, that's why, I think that's why I like this like sort of family friendly version, um, especially because it still does have a lot of the, same subversion of tropes that Pratchett does in his work but I think this is something that like a kid could watch and not be um (laughs) you know freaked out by or not find like tedious yeah and I Um, mean obviously I never saw this was when I was a kid but as an adult I find it too saccharine I think that's so funny. I feel super differently. Um, That's okay. Which is fine. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's just, I just feel really, really different. Um, it, uh, what was I going to say? I did wish there was more of the death of rats. In I know. He was holding it a tiny he's bit. He's in the book quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we just get like one brief little clip, but I was so excited yeah. when the death of rats showed up. Nick was also very confused by that. <laughs> like there's a little rat death (laughs) what's happening yeah the the sets to like the tooth fairy's castle i thought looked amazing and i was like i want to go run around that creepy tooth castle um i loved how many shots they did of people like going up and down staircases that were all within the same frame so you would see them like going up and then going down on the next and there'd be like 
like all the goofiness at the end when it's like a Benny Hill situation basically and everyone's just like like running up and down stairs. <laughs> yeah. I like that. And the bone castle looked amazing too. The bone castle was very the, cool. Also when Susan was in Death's Realm and everything goes black and white, mm-hmm. I was really into that. Yeah. And I also loved when they enter the child's picture Mm. um which is how they get into the realm of belief and you get the just like really saturated primary color paint over everything and susan gets like the blue river paint on her hand yeah i thought that was well done and it reminded me really hard i think it's an oblivion not skyrim of like you can go into a uh picture and then there's like painted trolls in there which are very difficult to beat and they start attacking you you have to kill them to escape (laughs) and you can they drop instead of troll fat they drop painted troll fat which you can't get anywhere else in the game so i always just like put it in a chest because i'm like oh special item (laughs) and never use it (laughs) okay (laughs) so i play video games all right (laughs) um yeah so I'm curious, I'm also curious how, like, prominent this was in the UK or how, um, like, is, is this, is this a beloved work? Like, is this often watched at hogs watch time? (laughs) Like, I'd, I'd love if any of y'all could, um, could let us know what your experience with it has been. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but I do, I do think it is pretty beloved and I do think it's faithful enough that it can both please fans all pre pre adaptation Pratchett fans while also bringing in new ones, Mm. um, by being like, I don't know. I wouldn't call this accessible, but <laughs> certainly if I turned no. on the TV and this From was my on. my husband's reaction, <laughs> no, I wouldn't call it accessible. If I turned on the TV and this was on, I would be like, I gotta know more. Yeah, like, what is this? <laughs> gotta know more about what what's going this? on. Also, Terry had a cameo, um, really? but I missed him. So I'm gonna have to, yeah, I'm gonna have to figure out where that actually happened because I do I do love seeing him pop up as the toy maker um so I think he was just in the background of a scene so here's some things I didn't like why did we like have to see Rid Cully taking a shower <laughs> what was that, that whole scene man I was like what what's going on I don't want to participate in in whatever's happening right now <laughs> I was also like, is the joke that the shower is like going up his butt? <laughs> like, right, like what was, I didn't understand. Because it was Old Faithful. And if that's from the book, I just don't, I guess it was, maybe that was like an asterisked joke. Mm. You know what I mean? Okay, so like a description of the shower Old Faithful, I, which is funny in that in context. An asterisk. Yeah, exactly. Seeing it portrayed on screen is like, what are you doing? So that, okay, those moments, I get out what you're saying with like the extreme slapstick. And the, I think the number one problem I had with this is the pacing. Because mm-hmm. when you read a Terry Pratchett novel, it moves really fast. Yeah. And like there's constant like jokes, satire, yeah. like, you know, character stuff. Mm-hmm. And in this, the shots were all long and there was 
space both before mm-hmm. and after the dialogue and lots of long looks. Some of that I think is a, um, that's like a cultural thing. Like that's what a lot of it's a British thing. Yeah. Like British <laughs> TV movies. That's what Nick said. He was like, this is very British. That's what they feel like. Okay. Yeah. Which um, is not, that is tough for me. And you really haven't watched a lot of British television. Have you? Cause I have almost none. Okay. I've watched some great British baking show, but that's, right. But that that's does, a no, I mean, show. I mean, scripted television. No, no. Okay. I have watched a ton. Oh, I watched faulty towers. Yeah, but that's uh, that moves pretty fast too. Well, and that's a you know live audience. John Cleese. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I. Oh, and I've I've watched a lot of British television. Um, all my detectorist heads out there, get at me. Um, and the pacing is consistent. Mm. I, I think you are looking for a more American experience. Yeah, one that doesn't put me to sleep. <laughs> I I can't believe you felt that this was like slow paced though. Like I it get that was. the scenes were long. Yeah. But it the I felt like we were constantly cutting. Maybe from, not necessarily the subject like of what was happening, but everything like each scene just took so long and there were so many like meaningful looks at each other after one line of dialogue and I was just like Oh, guys, just keep it going. <laughs> I didn't realize how unfamiliar you were with British TV. Are you, are you, what? Are you calling me some some ignorant thing? No, I just, <laughs> I just didn't realize that you hadn't seen any before. No. I used to watch a lot of it. Um, now I just don't, no, I don't have time to watch TV anymore. Uh, and I honestly, I haven't been watching much TV, period, lately. I've only been watching like, streams youtube videos and movies so this to you it sounds like it really it read more like a tv miniseries than a movie that was released on tv yeah um which is interesting because i i could kind of get into it as a movie especially because it didn't have commercial breaks um i think it was broadcast i don't really have a problem with commercial breaks lumps no but when we were watching The Hobbit, we were really noting, like, okay, there's a commercial break. Mm-hmm. There's a commercial break. Yeah. Like, it's very jarring to have it, you know, like, come to a little conclusion for a moment. Fade to black. Fade to black. And this really didn't have that, so I could kind of get into it as a single film, except when you start part two and then it, like, redoes the intro. Mm-hmm. I love the intro, though. I That was when I was like, all right, I'm going to have some fun with this, where there's, like, a voice coming out of the cosmos, you see the universe, mm-hmm. and then you see the great Atween with the elephants on his back that and was the Discworld fun. floating yeah. on top. Um, and I... And there's that joke about, like, going to the edge. <laughs> um, yeah, it was great. Maybe it wasn't even... Because I'm thinking of, like, what movies do I like? And it's not like I only like movies... I actually don't like action movies. Um, so I don't need there to be, like, jump cuts or, like, sprinting through it. And I do like a lot of Russian movies, which are rather slow-paced. And you, you do like action movies, though. Like what? Um, like fighting, fighting movies. <laughs> Like what? <laughs> I like horror movies. Yeah, I guess that's what I'm thinking of. But like anytime Nick wants to put on a straight up, I watched Tenant recently. I hated it. How would you describe <laughs> The Northman? Um, that's an action movie. No, it's like a historical drama. Action. Historical epic. 
like maybe you could put action in there, but it's so action. That's so interesting, though. It's not... this is the episode where we just fight <laughs> for an hour. <laughs> what I was gonna say is, I think really the the reason I have trouble with the pacing is because of the subject matter. Hmm. Like I said, I expect Terry Pratchett. Um, media to zip along Mm -hmm. and like really maintain my interest level which is much easier in a book Mm -hmm. the versus on tv with what grace Mm -hmm. is talking about this british pacing (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i'll leave off there okay (laughs) (laughs) okay well let's let's discuss to wrap up do you feel this was a successful adaptation. And this is my, this is both of our only, the only adaptation we've experienced of a Discworld book. So high order. I mean, as I've been saying, it's very complicated. I do think it's, it's a fairly successful adaptation. Mm -hmm. Really my main problem is the one that it's, that I feel like they moved the age bracket down. Um, to the pacing Mm -hmm. and three, I don't like Christmas movies, but (laughs) those, so those are my, it's hogs. What I know, but like he's dressed like Santa Claus, but I thought you would be into the, you know, clear pagan appreciation that's shown throughout. Yeah. And I mean, and from that perspective, like that's the perspective from which you can enjoy, you know, Christmassy type. I guess I just really prefer the book. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's where, because yeah. like, yeah, I do always enjoy the pagan aspects. And I did say that I did talk Nick's ear off, be like, Santa Claus is based on pagan traditions as well, because the Christians were trying to stomp Sounds out like paganism. It was really fun to watch this <laughs> with you. <laughs> so yeah, and I like, I did enjoy watching this, and I'm glad that I did. Um, it was it was so weird, and I've thought about it a lot, like mm-hmm. since we watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it just wasn't an experience that I was like, this was so good. <laughs> But overall, I do think it's a, a faithful adaptation. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll say, I, yeah, I did. I agree. I did find it faithful. I think I was really in a positive way overwhelmed by just how much Discworld was like stuffed into mm-hmm. yeah. every shot. Yeah. Um, every scene, we get so many different characters. Even the, I thought that the two Watchmen yeah. were really well done. Yeah. Um, and they really captured the like, silly um realism of the the watch the night watch mm-hmm. um and also just kind of like bumbling around and like sort of getting involved but not really accomplishing anything and that's like the whole big joke of Discworld like everything everyone thinks they're so important but nothing that they do like really matters yeah, yeah. um Except for characters like Death, where he actually can have an impact, but then he becomes, like, so paralyzed by trying to understand what actually makes sense and how humans even work. Because, Mm -hmm. like, Death can't really know that. Yeah. Yeah, Death was by far and above my favorite part of this. Yeah, and getting to spend a lot of time with him, getting to spend time with Susan, who is a favorite Discworld character of mine, and any time that Death is engaging with humans and like meddling in their business, it's just it's just so going to be a rollicking good time. Yeah, I wish they had included more of the fake creatures that are spoken into yeah, existence a bunch of them. because of the extra belief. Um, like they took out. Uh, 
the cheerful fairy, um, the towel wasp, uh, the money bag goblin, and the hangover amp. Um, and the, the like creepy thing that they made for the sock, um, consumer. Oh yeah, that, that was like a bit of, of a socks. horror cut there. The eater of socks was terrifying. Was scary. And there's a moment one of the wizards is just like, no, My while sock. he sucks a sock off his foot, this like creepy vermin creature with a nose that's just a big vacuum chute yeah. that sucks socks in. My my dog, who's much cuter than the eater of socks, uh, she doesn't really do it anymore, but she used to. Sometimes she'd like sneak up on you and kind of munch the end of your sock and then suddenly pull it off and run away. <laughs> I my, my One of my cats loves chewing on toes and yeah. getting at socks. So yeah, there we have our own little eaters of socks yeah. that we've welcomed into our home. Yeah, we so. I pay a lot of money for mine. So that's on us. Um, yeah. And I, this, I just found the whole thing so charming. I, I love, I, I wouldn't say that I love Christmas movies, but I love a Christmas movie or something that feels like appropriate for the season that everyone watching could actually enjoy. Mm-hmm. Whereas like a lot of, you know, classics, um, I don't care to watch again. Like I've seen them enough or they're really aimed at young children. Um, and just feel tedious when you're watching them as an adult. Yeah, I um, think there's really only a few Christmas movies I do like. I mean, Muppet okay. Christmas Carol. Obviously, Muppet Christmas Carol, <laughs> number one. Yeah. So good. I, I can't even, it, it's just perfection. It's so good. <laughs> just sheer perfection. And then um, I like Scrooge Scrooged. with Bill Murray. Yep. Um, and then I guess a Christmas story. Yeah. Although it's been a long time since I watched it. No, I, st- I still think that is a very entertaining film. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I count Nightmare Before Christmas as hmm. a Christmas movie. I as love well. Nightmare Before Christmas. Love that. What's this? What's this? What the fuck is this? It's <laughs> <laughs> a really good version of that my husband found where he's just cussing the entire time. I'll link to that in the episode too. It's really funny. Good. good. Um, yeah. So like, you know, you, all of y'all can hear that, you know, we enjoy maybe a more off the beaten path Christmas film. Um, but but this is one that I, I genuinely had a good time with and it had a lot of good anti-capitalist messages. Yeah, I did um, appreciate those. Also, yeah. when death says that humans have to, you know, they, if they don't believe in concepts like justice, mercy, and duty. And Susan says, oh, but those are all very different. And death is like, they're all the same because none of them are real. Mm -hmm. Um, None of it exists. But if humans don't... Yeah, on a cosmic level, he kind of says that Mm -hmm. there is no such thing as those. Um, So humans have created these fantasies for themselves so that Mm -hmm. they have something to carry on. And they, like he says, jam today is nothing. You just sit and eat the jam. But jam tomorrow, that'll keep you going forever. So good. Or, <laughs> these, and these are complex concepts to yeah, be dropping into a Christmas no, family Christmas film. And that's some of my favorite things about death is because he just has these like incredibly profound, um, you know, ideas. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. Death is where I feel like you can really distill Pratchett Mm -hmm. um and there's there's so much I was looking for like other depictions of death after we watched this and 
I kind of got a little teared up because there's so, so much art of like death and Terry Pratchett leaving. I know. Because he, he passed. Yeah, there um, was um, at the exhibit that I went to at the Salisbury Museum, um, the exhibit really went through Terry's whole life. And then the last room was like his, you know, final um like pieces of writing and things that he was working on when he was really no longer very mentally present. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they had the original of that painting of him and death walking away together, which is really, really intense. Now I'm tearing up again. <laughs> I'm crying too. <laughs> yeah. Sir Terry Pratchett, GNU, he is with us um, and being able to, see how others interpret and appreciate his work is really special to me. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think by, by the very fact that you can tell that the people who made this love Discworld and love Terry, they, they put a lot of faithful work into it. That to me is the clearest marker that it was a success mm-hmm. and yeah. all the bits that have aged a little weirdly, I'm fine with when <laughs> Tiatame is falling down the chasm of the central tower in the Tooth Fairy's castle. Um, and his little body is just like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> also, Tubi chose to start an ad <laughs> right in the middle. <laughs> wow, Tubi. In the middle of him falling. Then I got my AARP ad. And <laughs> then it went back and like finished him falling. And then the scene cut. <laughs> That's... That's like some art. <laughs> no, yeah, that was okay. I get why you liked that ad. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was just sitting by myself cackling. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, so good stuff. Yeah, um, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you all for listening and for supporting us. I think for January, maybe we'll do another poll since we've been like just running wild with uh, things that we've felt like watching or reading. Um, and y'all can pick what our next book to cover on the Babetreon will be. Um, I still want to get into some Magic Treehouse books. I've been thinking about them a lot. There's a Christmas one, too. <sighs> Don't make me do the Magic Treehouse Christmas one. <laughs> no, no. But you want to do one of the Magic Treehouse Yeah, books, so. yeah. We should do the Egyptian one where they get, like, locked in a pyramid and there seems to be danger of them, like, slowly starving to death. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we'll get that up this month so y'all can vote. And, yeah, just thank you so much for being here. Y'all are the, y'all the coolest. We're going to have a two up two babe Trion episodes this month the other one's gonna be a short little guy with just some of our favorite things media stuff we liked this year and since we're fantasy loving nerds and i think i can safely say we're all in that category together <laughs> maybe there'll be some overlap so check it out yeah happy hogs watch to all of you and we'll be back soon happy solstice i'm grace <laughs> i'm madeline <laughs> until next time until next time goodbye